Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook Podcast. My name is James K. And with me as always is your co-host, Chris Pennant. And Chris, I mean, I think we got to talk about this at the top too. You're a television star now. Is this, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you were on The Chase. Is that, was that what the name of the show is called? Yeah, the, uh, the Chase uh, started in the UK, had a run on Game Show Network a few years back, and then they brought it to ABC this year. And I got lucky enough to be on the first season. Shout out, um, I, I owe uh, uh, Jesse Snavlin a big debt for that. She auditioned and then told me about it, and I decided to audition. I was like, hey, I love that show. And I put in and got chosen to be on it. <laughs> that is crazy, man. That is crazy. I mean, you ended up winning a good chunk of money from uh, from what I saw online. You know, keep it on the low. You know, I've been probably, <laughs> I've been tweeting about it all the time. But yeah, um, our team was great. Uh, big ups to Elliot Yates, Catherine Verwillow, my my two comrades. We've been talking all the time since then, and we, at various times, we held each other down on the show, and we beat one of the best Jeopardy contestants in history you know it's all well but this is the this is where the real money is made right here right here <laughs> well I, I had to give you a shout out at the top of that because that was awesome i'm uh i really dug the uh pink sweater that you were wearing during it, <laughs> it everybody was... did <laughs> well this is also a special episode because we are joined by such a great writer at winsider.com owen pence thank you so much for joining us man how you doing I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, we've been meaning to have you on for a while. I mean, you wrote, I mean, your writing is fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed your piece on Kalia Copper from last, from last off, or no, from the Wubble, excuse me. And, um, you know, we, we've been really excited to uh, do this with you. We picked a really good time to do this podcast because it was announced today that Stu Dew is back with the Sky on a one-year deal. Um, Rachel Galligan reported that earlier today, and <laughs> we were talking a little bit about this before the show, but and this is coming a year after Stu was acquired by the Wings in a sign-and-trade deal that sent this year's eighth overall pick to the Sky. And um, yeah, after she signed a three-year deal last year, she was bought out on February 25th, and I think so. Looking at my notes here, the wings are going to pay her a little over $108,000 this year and a little over $111,000 in 2022. You know, I have no clue why Dallas is managing its team like it's 2K right now, but I feel like we, we have to talk about this and get your reaction. Owen, when you saw the news today, what did you think of this move for the sky? I love it for the sky. I think it's hilarious from a, from an encore <laughs> perspective, for sure. I, I love it. I mean, it, it adds to their, to their bench depth. Um, it adds to their big depth and, and obviously a stew played her best basketball in Chicago, but it's also fantastic for the sky from a PR perspective. They basically get to boast that they have the best head coach slash general manager in the league here, just running circles around the Dallas wings um, we're, you know, we're going to talk about Azare Stevens a little bit later and, and Chicago, you know, swindled Dallas in that deal. And then you have this one where, you know, the wings are, are paying her more money than Chicago will be paying her. And they get to, they get to have a pick in, in this year's first round, you know, maybe address that, that backup point guard position. 
Um, it, it, it really is a, is a fantastic signing for, for Chicago. I completely agree with you about that. I mean, I think this is a great move for both sides, honestly. I mean, James Wade favors bigs who can stretch the floor and Stu provides that and something that they really needed too, which was defense in the post. And I know she barely played last season, which, you know, that it still makes no sense to me why she didn't get any playing time last season, given her contract. But I think about the version of her from 2019, where she filled in nicely for Jantel Lavender when Lavender went down. And I felt like a lot of Sky Town thought that their season was kind of going to come apart a little bit because how important Lavender was in that system. But, you know, Stu really answered the bell there. I mean, coming off of winning the MVP in the Eurobasket tournament that year, she had 10.7 points per game, 7.1 rebounds, 1.1 blocks, and she shot 42.3% from deep and 50% from the field in 11 games that she started in place of Jantel. I mean, I think this is a really solid pickup, and I know that the team wanted to bring her back when she was a free agent, this uh, not this offseason, but the one before it. And it's crazy that James Wade was able to pull this off. Chris, what were your thoughts? I mean, do you think that this is this is a pretty big move for the sky or like where do you feel like how does this change their view for this upcoming season or outlook, yeah, aside, I should say? Aside from from uh, the caliber of the move and how it reflects on James Wade as a GM, it's a great move for them in terms of team continuity and for additional uh, additional scoring and defense. We saw what Astu could do two years ago, uh, as you said, James, when she stepped in for Jontel after she went down with injury. That 10.7 per, points per game is more than twice her career average over her uh, five seasons in the league. She was shooting from the outside. She gave this guy an outside shooting touch and a rangy defender inside. She's not going to body up to the likes of Liz Cambage ever, but she's going to alter and redirect shots at the rim, especially on help defense. And I mean, after Azare went down and left the wobble, that was something that the sky could have really used last season. And so now they get that. They have basically insurance for Azare and somebody who can play that slot and give uh, time, for, uh, time for Z to rest, time for Steph to rest. And whomever they might take in the draft, I'm not as good on the mock drafts as you, as you two might be. But just from watching the bit of college basketball I've seen this year, it seems like there's a lot of post players who are ready to go. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at the A slot if this guy did take a post player. Um, but that's that's all that's all for that. As a GM, yeah, I had doubts whether James Wade made the right move in letting Katie Lou Samuelson go so quickly when you lose a number four pick, even in the WNBA that does not have a deep total. Um, player pool there's only so many players for every team in a smaller league it's hard to say that you let a number four pick go after one season even amidst controversy and I thought that she was improving with Dallas it looked like she was improving overseas this offseason but our man Eric Nemchak every single day <laughs> was asking why is Dallas not playing a do?" <laughs> and I have no more doubts about James Wade's savvy at this GM business. <laughs> now, there, there's teams who, at some point in time, in their respective leagues, are just fodder for getting swindled by teams. The New York Jets, the Islanders, uh, the Mets. 
What Don't happened? say the Knicks, Chris. Don't say the Knicks. <laughs> I, I did not see. I didn't. I, there's just the team I was thinking about in New York. For some reason, there's a few New York teams who are who are open to this. But this is we're talking about Dallas right now. I do not know what they're doing. But James and and James Wade obviously does. He he knows that, and that's the worst thing that you can do as a team. Let people not know that you don't know what you're doing. Like if you're on the basketball court and you start to think. Good defenders can see that, and they will pick your pocket, and that is exactly what's happened to Dallas. I think you bring up a good point here as well. I mean, he took Katie Lou Samuelson, whose stock was kind of starting to go down after her 2019 season, and he turned her into Azure Stevens. You know, we'll talk a little bit about her contract extension a little bit later on, but she's looking like a great investment, and I know she's dealing with injuries, but I mean, what she's able to provide to the sky right now compared to what Katie Lou who is still developing and, you know, just didn't fit the sky's timeline in the way that I think James Wade anticipated when he drafted her in 2019. I think Azure has also been a steal. I mean, they have really, have really turned this roster around and have really shaped it in a way that does fit their timeline. And it's pretty incredible for a coach and GM to be this successful. And uh, especially in this short period of time, turning a non-playoff team into a contender, probably a top two team in the league right now. Um, I mean, Owen, what do you think of this Dallas situation? I mean, can you help me understand it? Because I have no freaking clue what they're doing over there and what direction they're going with all these up and coming players. And I can't begin to comprehend it. Help me out here. Well, you're not alone. Uh, let me say that off the top. You're not alone in, in being unable to comprehend what's going on in Dallas. I do think it's funny because I've been one of the few, I think, who is at least trying to give Dallas the benefit of the doubt. And obviously, you know, what this team has done over the last handful of years does not inspire any sort of confidence. However, that being said, I do think that there are a few signs that potentially they could be turning things around. Like, for instance, uh, getting the number one overall pick for Katie Lou who we were just talking about, I think that's a fantastic move. Um, I, I, I actually like stockpiling draft picks. I actually like stockpiling young assets. And I think they have a ton of talent on this roster. Um, I'm a huge Ty Harris fan. Marina Mabry, when she played alongside Arike last year, looked really good. Uh, so the, 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 there's a lot of pieces here. The problem seems to be that, that there's no foresight in terms of, okay, what, what's the next step? How do we take this from just owning the draft and having every draft pick imaginable to actually, you know, putting out a, an on-court product that is presentable and that is competitive. And I think that Arike's next contract will start to become a larger and larger discussion in WNBA circles, because if they do not prove to her that this is the place to be and that, and that this is the place to win specifically, then you're really in trouble because you're already, uh, it's, it's already pretty fresh in our minds, Liz Cambage and Skylar Diggins Smith saying, I want out. And exactly. so that if that continues to become a thing with this next generation of transcendent talent, then you have a real, real issue on your hands. But I, I actually do think that like, it's become, very, you know, Dallas and Indiana are kind of like the two uh, WNBA punching bags right now in terms of, you know, on Twitter, who's who's catching the most heat 
who's the, the butt of the most jokes. And I actually want to wait and see just a little bit longer with Dallas because I do think turning Katie Lou Samuelson into the number one overall pick, regardless of how people are, are saying that maybe this draft isn't that strong. Hey, we don't know if Ryan Howard is, is, is going to declare this year. I think most people would assume that she's going to wait until 2022, but there's a chance that she declares this year. And, and even if she doesn't, Charlie Collier is a really nice player. There's a lot of, a lot of really nice players at the top of this draft. And so I, I do think that, that maybe it's not quite as bad as people are making it out to be. Then again, you look at <laughs> their dealings with Chicago, the Azaray Stevens trade, and, and obviously a stew do, and, uh, and you start to really scratch your head and it, and it just becomes entirely perplexing. So it's, it's, it's wait and see for me, um, but it's certainly been an odd handful of years over there. I think that Arike is like, she has room to improve, obviously. Um, she's an incredible scorer. I mean, what, what we saw, what she did to the sky in 2019, where she took, it was her and like seven other players when they were down so many and yeah. they, she somehow willed them to victory with just, it just an impossible. Like, I just couldn't believe what I was watching when it happened live. Um, I think she's ready to win. <laughs> she has the talent to do it. She's already one of the best scorers in the WNBA. And at a certain point, you kind of need to turn all these future assets into pieces that can help her win now and give her a reason to stay. Like you said, I mean, they have like, they have Bella Allery, they have Satu, they have Ty Harris. Like you said, I mean, they have all these players that are really solid and ready. And again, I just think they can build towards the future, but also like start to try to win. I think that is so underrated with young players when you can get them valuable experience in the playoffs and start building a culture where they, they feel comfortable in. And you can't say that Dallas is doing that right now with all the picks that they have. I mean, what, so how many picks do they have in this year's uh, first round? I wrote it down, but it's buried in my notes right now. It's like, is it like, I think it's five off top, but I I'd have to go to, to across the timeline to, to, to double check that one. I mean, are they even going to be able to keep two of those players on the roster when (laughs) after the draft is over? Like I, this is when it just really becomes more complicated. And like, again, I understand, I actually understood the, a stew deal when it happened, just because I thought she really earned her spot in the WNBA with how she performed, not even just in the last 11 games of the regular season, but also how she performed in the playoffs when she averaged over 16 points per game and over eight rebounds per game. And I think it also kind of gets lost in WNBA history because of the, I hate to say her name, but Derek Ahambi and her half court shot, but you know, a stew hit that corner three to put the sky up um, Mm -hmm. in that game. And again, it's completely wiped out now. Um, And so I understood that move because they were getting someone who show that she can be a winning player and um again was the mvp in europe that uh in the euro basket tournament that year but you know i understood that move but it seems like they're going away from that now and it just seems like the wrong direction um i mean chris do you have any extra thoughts on this because i can't i kind of feel like we're all on the same page with this one no, like I, like I said, I, I love this dude's game. Um, Shea Serrano talk, had a section in his book, uh, Basketball and Other Things, called The Moment Before the Moment. And that was immediately, well, it wasn't immediately what I thought, what I immediately thought after that shot. <laughs> I was screaming at my TV. Um, 
but that was the moment before the moment. That was a, a fantastic play. It might have even been a broken play where Astu floated to the corner and was just the out the uh, the release, like the safety valve, and she buried a three to put the sky up two. At in in such a seesaw game, with two, I think those were two of the three best teams that year. Even though the sky had to play that uh, those first two um, knockout games before they got to the semifinals. Those were two of the best teams, two of like the three or four best teams in the playoffs that year. And it just came down to 14.8 seconds or so. And that's really what a stew provides. You know, it, it will, it'll be, it'll remain to be seen how she fits into the new system with Z there mm-hmm. and whomever the sky draft uh, with number eight, I think with a stew, I, I'm going to go back on what I said earlier. I don't, necessarily think that they would draft another uh, a post player and instead look for some backcourt help either on defense or um, just another I think another point guard is still in need because uh, Sid was yeah. recovering from COVID and didn't play up to the potential that everybody knows she has but I think it's man it's, it's just a really good move from a, from a guy who's still He's going into his third season at the top job. And even, you know, with the WNBA, it's still a big market team. And they're getting more of the market each day. I think that's the thing that can't be overlooked and we're going to get into. The W's presence is growing so much. And these types of moves are now are going to get the people who like live for this stuff, who live for off-season trades. And they're going to start looking and they're going to be like, man, this guy's really, he's really good with his. And on the other side, what is this Dallas team doing? And that's going to be like the big news that you see. So I think in, in that perspective, a lot of people as the media uh, umbrella keeps growing, people are going to start looking at these moves and with more scrutiny and teams like Dallas won't be able to necessarily get away with them. They have four picks in the first round, by the way. Okay. Four picks. Yeah. Still, I mean, that's too, too many. If you really think about like what's <laughs> what they have in front of them. Oh, and, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the podcast was, like I said at the top of this, I mean, that article you wrote for Winsider last season on Kalia Copper and her contributions on and off the court in the bubble. I mean, everybody ate it up. It was great. She had a great reaction to it. Um, <laughs> the bun cakes thing, I'll never get over. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, reason, the reason I bring it up too, I mean, she was named to USA basketball's roster, which is just such a massive step forward for her and her basketball career. Um, I feel like she is someone who has just such a bright future ahead of her after her coming out party last year. So with that in mind, I mean, Owen, you were ahead of it. What are you expecting from Kopp after her, you know, 2020 campaign? And uh, what do you expect for her in 2021? I, I can't wait to see. I'm just, it's more pure unbridled excitement for what she will be able to bring to this team than me maybe having any sort of insider predictions into what she will provide. And the reason I say that is because this roster is so stacked right now. And if you get a a healthy diamond to shields, and I think, you know, obviously we're all really hoping for that. um, Then, then copper's role changes significantly and I, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think that everything she did last year, she can do in limited minutes if you need her to. She's just that type of player where she's going to go all out 
no matter if she's, she's in the game for 10 minutes or if she's in the game for 35. And so I think that her skills are, are super translatable to, to this roster, which, you know, if everything goes according to plan uh, is going to have a lot more depth than, than they did last year in the bubble with the, with the injuries that they suffered. So I think that, you know, the fact that she is, is, you know, turned herself into a league average three point shooter. The fact that, that she is an above average finisher at the, at the rim uh, for a player whose frame would not, you know, uh, make you think of, of somebody who, who can really bang with the big sort of players because she's, she's more slender and quick, but yet she, she just has this ability to kind of maneuver and elude uh, defenders at the rim that allows her to finish these shots. Uh, you know, she had, she had a really good percentage on putbacks last year. Yes. Um, she's really good coming off of picks. She's fantastic in transition. And she she gets after it on defense, and she really bothers uh, opposing players on the perimeter. So it's a really complete package. It's a complete skill set, and I think that's what makes me just incredibly excited for for her role on this upcoming team. Uh, is that now she's going to be playing with some players that I think she could she could really have a fun time uh, with in, in a lot of different aspects. You know, Candace Parker is someone who is an elite rebounder and is you know, maybe like the best point forward that this yeah. league has ever seen. And so if you think about how Chicago likes to play going up and down and, and, and just kind of beating teams with pace. Well, if you have Candace Parker who grabs the board and then starts to, to push it forward on the break and, and, and she's a really capable passer, you know, copper is someone who's going to fill those lanes and, and be really, uh, really efficient finishing in transition and so I think those skills could combine in a, a really satisfying way for, uh, for James Wade. I want to respond to that in a sec, but I want to throw it to Chris. Is there anything from what Owen just said that you want to say? Because I have a follow-up after it. Yeah. First of all, Owen, you can't come on the podcast uh, be sounding so eloquent, man, because <laughs> I got to step up everything. You had some like assonance in there, maneuver and elude. Like that was really poetic. Um, Ka is everything that you just said and i think from a cultural standpoint it's that east mid like rust belt east coast style of play that you see on a lot of basketball courts where there's the guards who um if you play playground basketball there's some of the guards who uh point guard who play point and this is not this is not saying that ka does this but there's the guards who won't pass (laughs) is one of the kind like the guards who always take it to the rim and they learn, they just learn how to, to, especially if they're shorter, they learn how to make shots over taller players, get through taller players, figure out a way to get the ball in their hands. And Kyle, like you said, she, she's a more slender player in the league, whereas you get a, a player, a guard like Sammy Whitcomb, whom you see up close, is just like shoulders, you know? Kai isn't like that. She's raw bone, as like old schoolers might say. And I noticed last year, especially... Um, in the latter half of the season when they when the sky lost Azaree Stevens that she was going to the rack a lot more on defensive rebounds yep. and fighting in there for uh, boards that the team needed with one of their post players out and she is good as well on um, on the offensive glass that's and that's an area that they're going to lack with Cheyenne Parker leaving town because that was one of her big the big parts of her game Candace Parker is going to pick up some of that as well but that's really where they can use Ka to crash the offensive glass. And 
and man, that fast break, you've got two or three players who could ostensibly bring the ball up the floor and the sky, I think just from what you've seen, how James Wade wants to implement their offense, they are one of those teams that it does not want the ball to touch the floor more than two times on the, like on the fast break, just outlet, outlet, outlet with risk, with uh, copyright to currency. It's going to be jet city. <laughs> if, if diamond's knee is healed, then you've got her and Kai coming down the, her and Kai coming down the floor, uh, Azra Stevens filling the lane and Quiggs and Slute on the, on the, um, on the perimeter in case the defense recovers in time, but they still have to uh, collapse for any uh, slashers. Just think about that. She's a starting caliber player. I mean, she, I'm just looking at the stats too. I mean, in 2019, she averaged 6.7 points per game on 14.8 minutes per game and was a 30% three-point shooter. And in 2020, I mean, again, I know that injuries gave her this opportunity, but I mean, James Wade bet on her before the season by giving her that contract north of $100,000 per season. And I mean, she really stepped up. She almost averaged 15 points per game, 5.5 rebounds per game, and was a 35% three-point shooter. Um, I mean, she's the leader of the second unit. I mean, that is freaking terrifying, man. Like, you know, one thing I didn't mention when we talked about a stew returning the team was that Stephanie Mavanga, I hope I'm saying that correctly, mm. was released to free up a roster spot. So with, you know, there's one less mouth to feed at the three now and Ka's going to get her opportunities. I think that's really important. And, you know, even just feeding off of that, I mean, if the sky want to preserve Azra Stevens and Diamond to start the season, since we got to be realistic here, they are both coming off of some tough injuries with Ezra with the cartilage injury and diamond with um, I mean, I don't even know what you want to categorize her injuries. It was just like three lower body injuries that really stopped her from being able to go full force last season. You know, they can leave like lean on Kalia a little bit more heavily just because she's shown that she can take on that workload. I mean, she doubled her minutes per game average last season. I mean that, you know, this is just one of the reasons why I think the sky and, aces are in their own tier to start the season because they just have this depth and they have like so many players that can start in the WNBA right now. And some of them are coming off of the bench. Um, I don't think this is a hot take. I mean, Kalia Copper is going to get paid next off season. Um, (laughs) I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the sky navigate the cap situation because of it. Um, You know, do you guys have any predictions actually Owen, because uh, you're less attached to the sky than we are. What would be one team right now in the WNBA you would want to see Kalia Copper on if she tragically didn't sign with the Sky next season? Ooh, that's a fantastic question. Hmm, put me on the spot. I love it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I had to be what? that host. <laughs> no, are you kidding me? That's that's fantastic. I I relish the challenge here as I as I filibuster into an answer. Um, I would love to see. I mean, cap gymnastics excluded because uh, because I do think it's going to be tough. She is going to get paid. And maybe a couple of these teams that I am about to mention uh, would not be able to fit her into the cap, uh, depending on how 2021 goes. But I'd love to see her play for for Kurt Miller uh, on Connecticut. I think that would be really fun. Mm. And I'd also love to see her, frankly, in New York. I think that, um, you know, just all the space on the floor uh, fits right into, into her game. I think that it would be kind of a cool 
juxtaposition where you have this team that just loves to hoist threes and is all about spacing and kind of playing four out, five out basketball. And then you have Copper who, you know, as, as she proved last year, is more than capable from three, but she's also uh, well above league average from the mid-range. And that's kind of a lost yeah. art. And, and she's someone who makes those shots worth it. And so if you plop her into a system like New York's, where everyone is just very concerned about stopping three-pointers and is pressing up onto everyone, then the middle of the floor, there's a lot of space to, to, to operate there. And I think that she would just eat that up. So uh, that would be another team. But frankly, I'd love to see her. I'd love to see her anywhere. I, I, it would be a shame for her. I like, you know, I just want her to be on Diamond's team forever. To be honest, <laughs> I feel like that's number one and number two. Like it's just it's too perfect. And I love what Chris said about the uh, the rebounding too, because it it brings back a possession that I actually mentioned in that piece last year, where. I think this was the first game of the, of the Wubble season, actually. It was the uh, game against Las Vegas where they came back from down 10, you know, in the last three minutes or whatever it was. And, and the possession, if I remember correctly, that kind of spurred the comeback, Copper just out jumps a much bigger player. You know, I don't remember if it was Hamby or, or who it was. Uh, maybe it was even, even Asia. Uh, and gets the board and then just takes it coast to coast and finishes, you know, over, over a taller defender. And that's the value that she brings. I mean, to, to be a guard and, and out jumping these players for rebounds and, and just kind of wanting it more in those moments is really special to watch. So yeah, I'll, I'll watch her and support her wherever she is. Wow. Well, well done off the dome like that. That is uh, <laughs> congratulations. That was fantastic. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the other bigger moves, at least in my mind, I felt maybe it's a little bit more subtle, but it's very important to say the least for the sky this off season was Azrae Stevens signing a contract extension through 2022. And I think that outside of Candace Parker and Ruthie Hebert, I think Ezra is now the only player signed with this guy past this season. So that deal was worth one year and it was $140,000. So, you know, Chris, what do you think of this move from the sky, just being able to solidify the future just slightly by inking Ezra to that extension? It helps. Um, it, it, I guess it, it clarifies things for them beyond this year and the next and it, it does show that they're not going all in without a plan. Again, this goes back to James Wade at that head coach GM spot, because when we last spoke, James, a lot of, uh, a lot of my worry, and I think a lot of our worry, a lot of the fans' collective worry is on uh, the upcoming seasons when you've got to decide who you keep and who you let go. The Sky have been known for such great chemistry. Like everybody on the team seems to like hanging out with everybody. And, you know, there's people, there's, groups of people who have their 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 closer friends but the team genuinely seems to like each other and uh, basketball especially in this league at this moment chemistry I think is is an intangible that weighs really heavy heavily so it does help that you that you have a player like Azare and that one she's not as worried it's no matter what contract contract thoughts are are going to weigh on any professional athlete 
So she's not as worried about that. Uh, James Wade is not as worried about that. That That's one checkbox off of the list. I still am wondering, you know, it's, it's I think the questions are still out there of who's, who they'll have money for, who they'll be able to retain. Uh, if the salary cap, I, I don't think with the CBA having gone into effect so recently, I don't think there's any chance that the salary cap's going to increase in time for them to have more room. But at least there's one box off of the checklist. Definitely. I mean, I my reaction when I saw it was just, I think it's kind of a high-risk move for this guy. Um, and like you said, I mean, because I'll, I'll use Owen's words, because of the cap gymnastics they're going to have to pull off after this season, it's an interesting move, but I think it's worth it because of what she showed last season. I mean, in the 11 games she played with this guy before she went down, I mean, she showed off her range as a big, and, you know, she was, I mean, she was shooting the lights out for a long period of time before she went down and was out for the rest of the year. And she's just, when I think about a, like a big in James Wade system, I think of someone like her who can, you know, really take over, uh, you know, from the outside, but also can be, creative in the post as well. I'm really curious to see that how she's integrated this season into the offense with so many weapons, but, you know, again, I, I love watching her after this past season, even more that now that I found out that her favorite band is Tame Impala, who I adore. Um, <laughs> but I do think that she can actually improve more. And the biggest thing is just going to be seeing how that cartilage injury plays out. Cause that's just something that's really significant. And, you know, anytime you, you hear lower body injury and a post player's name putting into like put into the same sense. I mean, that is, that's a little nerve wracking, but her potential, I mean, that's the reason why she was a top four pick in the WNBA draft a couple of years ago um, in the 2018 draft. So I think, I, I think that she, her value like can exceed this contract actually potentially, but it just, we're going to have to see how it plays out with, you know, the injury concerns, but Owen, what's your take? Did you, what were your thoughts on Azrae's uh, contract extension? I, I absolutely adore it from Chicago's perspective. Uh, first off, Tame and Paula had one of the best albums. <laughs> Let me just put that out there. Then I'm going to let yeah. you finish. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I mean, you look at some of the figures that, that people were signing for this past month and then you look at Azrae Stevens at 140,000 and I think it's an absolute steal. I think yeah. that we're not very far off. I think we're basically like one healthy Azrae Stevens season away from talking about her as like one of the best bigs in this league. Um, and, and I, I don't think that's unrealistic at all. I think that she does just about everything well. And I think that she's able to fit into a lot of the different kind of rhythms of, of basketball um, whether you want her to, to play more pick and roll heavy, whether you want her to spot up or, or cut. I think her defense is, is so essential for this yeah. team. And I just cannot wait to see uh, her and Candace Parker share the floor together. Um, so I, I think it's an absolute no brainer from Chicago's perspective. I think we're going to look at that figure maybe after this season, if she's able to stay healthy and be like, Oh my goodness, what a steal. And, and how huge is that for James Wade to, to as you guys were kind of saying, check off, you know, at least one box. So now you have three players under contract, you know, in the, in the uh, next off season. 
Um, Cause there's going to be a lot of decisions that have to be made and, and to just have her. And then from her perspective too, she doesn't really have to play this season thinking about that next contract. It's like, okay, let me just focus on basketball this year. Um, so I love it. And, and yeah, again, as Chris was saying from a chemistry perspective, like Azare and, and Gabby Williams are really tight and, and she just, she's just an incredible presence to just have in your locker room. Uh, even when you don't even start thinking about everything that she brings on the basketball court. Um, I, I, it's an absolute no brainer to me. I, I'm a huge Azare Stevens fan. And, and I think that the, the sky are much better off having, having uh, inked her to this deal. So one of the things that the Sky Show Shy tweeted out today was just kind of discussing the different types of lineups that James Wade can throw out there with all of these bigs. I mean, just to go down the list, you have Steph Dolson, who is probably the projected starter, if I had to guess, um, just in this moment. Um, So you have Steph, you have Ruthie Hebert, last year's number seven overall pick, if I'm not mistaken. You have a stew, you have Azure, and you have Candace Parker, who again is just like you said, one of the best passing forwards in WNBA history, um, in basketball history. Um, you don't even you shed the WNBA title. She's just one of the best basketball players ever. One of the things I was just kind of curious about, like how are these lineups going to work? But in terms of not even just the starting lineup, think about the closing lineup right now. Who would you have out there on the floor one through five right now? I love this question. Well, me personally, if everyone is healthy, I think that the the obvious five to me is Sloot, Diamond, Quiggs, Stevens, and Candace. And that's, not, no, yeah. that's no disrespect to Steph Dolson, who, who brings a lot to the table. And I understand that Steph Dolson uh, also was battling, you know, some ailments and injuries last year. So it's just, it's, you, they have too much talent. I mean, you, you're leaving like three or four players that could absolutely start on a number of other rosters in this league on the bench when you propose that as a, as a potential closing five. But to me, I just can't get over the, the length and defense that you're getting from the four and the five if you play Candace Parker and Azare Stevens together. Never mind the fact that both of those players can shoot the ball. Um, and, and Parker is really a fantastic passer from the elbows. And, and obviously, you know, Sloot is, is the, the best assist getter in the league and it's not close. So I think that that to me is the, is the, is the starting five. Uh, if I were, were coaching the team, I'll be really interested to, to see how it plays out. And the other thing is if Azure Stevens is still trying to ease her way back into form, uh, from from the injuries that that she was battling in 2020, then okay, maybe you do start Dolson, bring Stevens off the bench. But personally, I think that that Stevens is just the better all around player and is really going to be like a clear cut all star in this league for years to come if she can stay healthy. So I don't see how you can leave her off the floor. I am like a hundred percent with you. I think that it's. I know this is going to sound like a hot take. I don't even think it's a discussion. If Ezra Stevens is hundred percent healthy, that in the, in the closing minutes that you want to have that lineup that you just outlined, just their ability to be able to switch on defense and being able to guard anyone out there. Um, you have Candace who, I mean, if, if I just, I just rewatched that game against the Mercury where the Sparks um, 
felt like in the first round and just the way that Candice was, you know, making up for some of her teammates mistakes on defense and just being able to cover so much ground. Um, you know, I feel like that was something that the sky had missed in the last two seasons, especially. So just their ability to stretch the floor, switch on defense and just generate the amount of offense that, I mean, they're, I feel, I kind of feel like people are forgetting about Allie quickly a little bit. Um, you know, I've just, I mean, she had a little bit of a down year shooting wise last year, which was probably, you know, we didn't really talk about it too, too much last year, but I mean, you know, she, she's someone that shot what, like 44% from three, like two years ago. I mean, the way that she's going to be able to be freed on offense and um, I'm, I just, the offense isn't just untapped potential there. And I think that um, Azure really does provide that. Like you just said, Chris, what are your thoughts? Do you feel like that is the way to go on the offensive end? Or, I mean, collectively, how do you feel about the sky putting out those five in the last two minutes of a playoff game? I would feel really good about it. And I, James is James White is going to be somebody who goes with a hot hand um, as, as time goes on. So I don't necessarily want to speculate about that mm-hmm. per se, you know, like what it'll be like in the come playoff time, because Steph is Steph or, or a stew or players who can give you that safety valve of, of hitting a three when you need it just, and, and Steph is one of the best screen setters in the entire league too. Yeah. So that's yep. something that you need in a clutch moment. Uh, but the five that Owen had, I love that starting five. When you can put three guards out like Vandersloot who can hit just about every pass, Ali Quigley, who is uh, still just such a sharp, sharp shooter diamond and i i want to see game action first but diamond looks like she's healing very well and that was what i was really worried about was that knee injury um z and candace parker is fantastic uh z z's offense was exactly what everybody expected and wanted before she got hurt last year and like you said james like we talked about cartilage injuries especially in a post player a taller player are are worrisome because it's something that doesn't heal quickly it's something that doesn't really heal fully my limited knowledge of of um of injuries cartilage is is something that you really have to kind of just deal with once you tear it it kind of it just deteriorates uh to a certain point but as long as he is is operating uh fairly well it's going to be really tough for anybody to get after that. And then you, you just have all the people on the bench who you can, who you can plug and play with Kyle, with Gabby Williams, with Steph. Oh boy. So, but I, I love that starting five. And I think that is a starting five that you can carry late in the games. And I think the best part about it is that you can save Steph who's had trouble with injuries and who, as much as I love Steph, she appears to be slowing down just a bit from her peak. So this way you can save her for, say, 20 minutes a night, 15 to 20 minutes a night, and get the maximum level of production from her. Agreed. I mean, I feel like, and we didn't really talk about this, even though it is kind of a hot topic as well, is just that there's not many holes on this roster, and the only one is the backup point guard position, which, you know, they invited Brittany Boyd to camp this year. I think a lot of people are excited to see if she can – like, you know, get some minutes and break into the rotation. Um, But she is going to compete against the number eight overall pick this year. You know, I think that it was Eric Nemchak who said there was, oh, I forget the person's name, but that he had 
them. I think it's Ari McDonald, if I'm not mistaken, who yeah. he sees drafting. Um, who he sees the sky drafting with that eighth pick, and it's going to be interesting to see how competitive that training camp is going to be with, you know, everyone competing for minutes um, up and down that roster. Um, it's I'm really excited to see what happens with that. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I think at this point, like the Cindy Colson train has probably left um, Chicago. So they, she took like uh, that contract, took the CTA all the way out to Forest Park. But um, I think it's you know this team. Outside of that, though, the backup point guard position, I really don't think this team has too much to worry about outside of what we've talked a lot about, Chris, which is the disease of more wanting you know, these younger players wanting to build off their success from last season. Um, I mean, we haven't even mentioned Gabby Williams really during this pod, you know, she's someone that has grown into a playmaker and especially in the first half of the season, she showed that she had improved her shot from outside the arc and it kind of fell off towards the end of the season. But, you know, (laughs) this team is just in a really good position for, um, you know, they've just really built something here over the last two years, which, I think Dallas and Indiana really need to take some notes on because uh, this is how you do it. So I'm trying to think, is there anything else that you guys want to talk about before I address what I'm calling in my, uh, you know, my tortured conscious as the tweet. (laughs) (laughs) Do we, do we want to talk about uh, the, uh, how the W's handled the pandemic in terms of, uh, what they're looking at for return to play in the draft, or do we want to leave that for later? Yeah, I mean, Owen, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but do you want to talk a little bit about just how you know, we're trying to project ahead a little bit to this season and um, how the, like Chris just said, how the WNBA has handled this really perplexing situation? Yeah, I, um, it's it's tough. I mean, I don't really want to speak because it. I, what makes it so difficult is that everything is changing so quickly and it seems like you know every week we have new information and and uh in terms of of what's going on right now so i don't really want to uh you know to to guess as to what the landscape's going to look like a couple months down the road what i will say is you know obviously the w uh in 2020 you know handled and I was very skeptical. I was openly very skeptical about playing any sports in a pandemic. I thought this is foolish. Uh, there are lives at stake and sports is, is something we all love, but it's not something we all need. Um, but they, they kind of proved me wrong and, and provided the blueprint for exactly how to execute a professional sports season uh, kind of in the middle of crisis and, and so I think that, that I am enthused by what they did in 2020. However, I am also really uh, cautious about getting my hopes up for this year, just because it's very, it's very clear to me that I don't think players are down for another bubble. And that just does not seem like a feasible reality for 2021. And so uh, I do worry about traveling to, certain arenas and I do worry about trying to put on a season just because well we all we always start the season in May and so that's how we're going to do it this year um but I will say that that what they they have done so far makes me think that that um you know I feel better about supporting it than I do about you know the NBA with their their all-star game in Atlanta and all just hogwash if you will so like that gets me 
quite mad talking about it. And I feel much better supporting the W and I just, I hope that they're going to be sensible and not really try to, to push anyone into uncomfortable situations because there's a lot of people who uh, are going to be put into a spot where it's like, you know, feel almost feeling like they have to play. And it's like, I don't want anyone doing anything that they feel uncomfortable about considering what's going on and, and how difficult this has been for, for just so many people the last year. You know, Ruthie Hebert went on Instagram live with Ezra Stevens the other day and someone asked the question, what was your favorite moment of the wobble? And there was just this pause for like five to 10 seconds where neither of them could come up with an answer just because of how horrible that experience was. And I totally understand <laughs> that because, man, I mean, I can't imagine them. I, honestly, I can't imagine the WNBA being able to afford another wobble situation. Um mm -hmm. And they probably want to save that money. I think Madeline Kenny of the Chicago Sun-Times, friend of the pod, she said that the sky lost something crazy, like 40% of their advertising revenue from this whole ordeal. And, and so I think that they're not, the WNBA is going to try to avoid pulling up another bubble situation. I think they would even avoid it for the playoffs, quite honestly. But we're still in this situation where, I mean, we're dealing with the pandemic still, which I think that while we've seen a decline in positive Oh, I should say a decline in hospitalizations and deaths that people are kind of treating that as if this whole situation is now resolved. And I think about a player like Elena Deladon who had to sit out last season and, you know, I don't know. I, I hope she's vaccinated. I hope that she was in the, one of the groups that was able to be first in line for it, but you know, you gotta be able to be safe and th can think about your, your health here. And uh, I, I think about players like that who had to sit out because of, being at risk for um, because they're susceptible to COVID. If you want to, I don't know if I want to phrase it that way, but that's kind of what the situation is. So I agree with you. I feel like that may feels really ambitious for where we're actually at and not where the public perception is that we are kind of over this thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're in Chicago right now and like all the bars around me are completely packed. I mean, it's, um, it's a scary situation and I'm curious to see what the league says, but we haven't heard of a tentative start date really for the season. Um, I thought Kathy en Engelbert said something about May, um, but until we hear an official announcement about that, I think it's kind of all up in the air. Um, Chris, what are your thoughts on this? Like, do you feel like this is a good idea to move forward with the season, even with all of the, all of the hype and all of the movement from this past off season that really took that really it made for great entertainment for the fans. It, um, it's given us great content. Where, like, where's your head at right now with this? Rationally, it's not a good idea to move forward with the season yet. I think the draft is okay. Uh, the, the only problem with that is that it, it restricts the freedom of players who are then going to be under contract with teams, even though they might not be able to play or I guess in an ideal world, they wouldn't be subject to um, having to, be in another environment with uh, multiple people that you know, with, a, with an increased chance of, of contracting COVID. Realistically, it's just not going to happen. Everybody's back to playing. You know, every, every league has figured out some way forward and they're accepting the losses that they take. We saw it with uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and whichever other players. Uh, the WNBA has, has gotten out front of these things with, with COVID and with the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor protests last year. 
they've gotten out in front of everything. They've let their players speak their minds and have their say uh, with Natasha Cloud sitting out the season for, I think on both counts for, for reasons for both of those aforementioned uh, events last year. And now she's coming back to play. I don't think until you can vaccinate say 75% of the total population that you should have uh, fans attending games but if we, if it's going to be anything like we see in the other major sports, these athletes are going to get priority with vaccinations, which opens up a whole nother list of questions that we don't really have time to address. <laughs> I want to see the players play for sure, but I want to see them do it in a safe environment. And I don't think it's, it's, not, it's not safe yet. Um, I will say that you know, my, two of the, the, my two roommates have, have started their, vac- their round of vaccinations and uh, just by the nature of their jobs. And so there's a lot of people who I think aren't necessarily in the first groups that we think of as at risk or, or subject. Not just that they're both, they're both working in the office every day and have been for months, but I think there's other people and other jobs that we wouldn't necessarily think about Suffice it to say, if the vaccines that are out in Moderna and Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson are as effective as they're being said, then it could be sooner rather than later that that actual safety zone become comes up. But I, I agree with you guys. I don't think we. I don't think it's time yet. I haven't thought it's time for a while because there's so many people still who are at risk, severely at risk, and even you know, the healthiest, or we might think of the healthiest of athletes who are miles and miles ahead of us in terms of, of conditioning and, and physical, uh, physical well-being can catch this disease and be down, you know? So, but I, I, at this point, I think we just got to get used to it. I don't know if they're coming back in May, but they're coming back. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally agree with everything you just said, Chris. And just one other name I wanted to mention, just as we talk about this is like, we can't forget about Asia Durr's story yeah. right now. Mm. I mean, the thought of like, let's put on another season in arenas, have everyone traveling, et cetera. And, you know, even seeing her talk about like trying to get ready for this upcoming season was heartbreaking to me. It's like, she shouldn't have, that should be the farthest thing from her mind right now with everything that she's gone through the last eight, nine months or whatever it is, it's just horrifying. And so I think that we really need to be cognizant of like those stories um, when we're, when we're discussing, you know, potentially uh, an upcoming season. Yeah. I mean, she lost what, 35 pounds, something crazy like that uh, after getting COVID. I mean, I, I, it's easy to see the, low positivity rates um you know i think what it's declined dramatically since the last surge in january but it's when you look at these individual cases um it really humanizes people i mean i i write covid19 updates or i did um, until a couple weeks ago um and i get the (laughs) the cook county numbers um and it's all in a spreadsheet where it has the people's names where they're from their age and it's like oh my god i mean this this didn't have to happen, um, which we don't have to get into, but I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking. I, I, I do wish the league would start even at the tail end of June, if possible, just because these, vi- I mean, coronaviruses in general, apparently don't spread as well in the summer compared to the, compared to uh, the winter. So it's a bummer. Um, but I think it's going to, I mean, 
I try it, especially with an eva- it's really tough to evaluate these teams right now because you, there's all these different factors floating around. Um, but I do hope we get to the point where we can safely watch the, I mean, the league can safely play and resume activity and, um, you know, we're able to absorb it as media members and fans. Um, but I do want to shift to a lighter topic just because we're running a little bit low on time. I think I should just probably address the tweet I sent out over a month ago um, that <laughs> caught the ire of Sky fans. And I honestly thought it was kind of hilarious. I'll just explain, a qu- just break this down a little bit because um, when this tweet was taken out of context, um, that's my fault because I know how Twitter works, but I just wanted to clear something up because there was one part I felt bad about. Just a quick, re- <laughs> just a quick recap of what went down. Um, when Candace Parker signed with the Sky, I tweeted out their updated roster, and at the end of it, I said, "Now that folks is lethal," something like that. Someone commented underneath it saying, "They are the Euroleague team no one wants to face," and I responded to it by just saying obviously this could change at the start of next season but if diamond shield is your fourth best player that is a luxury given that she was an all-star in 2019 well (laughs) uh she quote tweeted it saying boy shut the hell up with a laughing emoji (laughs) and uh it took off it took off um but there are a couple reasons why i wanted to bring this up so one, I didn't want this to come across like I was slandering Diamond in any way. And I kind of realized that afterwards that it kind of came across the way. So I admit I should have phrased it a little bit differently. And I had some caveats in my head that didn't make it into that tweet that's on me. Um, but at the same time, I still don't think it's actually that crazy of a take. And I was a little bit shocked by some of the responses. Um, so I'm going to defend that take for a second here because I think it makes for an interesting conversation. Um, but at the same time, I will also backpedal slightly at the end of this, but you know, I've been thinking about this for a little bit and I, this is kind of what, this is kind of what my thinking was when I put this out there. So if I'm saying diamond coming off of last season where she was hindered by injuries and is, you know, still developing as a player, if I'm saying that she is the fourth best player, I just feel like I should just go down the list and, give you my order as of right now um, after saying that um, because it drives me crazy when I see sports journalists say like, Oh, that person is a top 10 player, but won't name the other nine people uh, on their list. So, you know, when I, again, just looking at this guy's roster, I mean, I had Candace Parker as this guy's best player. I don't need to list her resume. Um, You know, she's coming off a year where she's defensive player of the year. She's a champion, former rookie of the year, MVP. I just think you can't make an argument that she isn't the best player on the sky right now. Um, and she's at least better than diamond at this moment. Uh, that's not controversial. I don't think people really had a problem with that. I thought this is where it got kind of interesting though, was the, the Courtney Vandersloot discourse His uh, the slander in this case has reared its head on social media some of the group chats I'm in for the WNBA. I mean, Courtney Vandersloot was just named to an all WNBA first team. She was a few percentage points away from being the third WNBA player to have a 40, 50, 90 season. And, you know, I will just defend her place on this hierarchy, honestly. Like this is, it's kind of crazy to me how after the four year period that she's had, it's not even just 
last season or the year before that. I mean, the last four years for her, she's put up numbers that no one else in this league has put up as a facilitator. Um, and her net rating last year was plus 28. We've talked about it on the pod, how when she comes off the floor, the wheels completely fall apart for this team. And she's, I mean, yeah, she's one of the most valuable players on this team. She was last season and the year before. She is the second best player on the sky right now. Um, now, this is the place, or this is the point where I think a lot of people got mad, in which I get in retrospect. I have second thoughts about this because, um, you know, I, th- I kind of thought about this more about Diamond's offensive ability and not just thinking about her as the complete package that, you know, she displays two-way ability and we've seen it time after time. Um, but just heading into this season where we don't really know about Diamond's health outside of what we've seen in social media, I thought in the moment of this tweet that three-time all-star Allie Quigley was ahead of her just based on, again, the information that we have right now. And, you know, offensively, I feel like we don't know what we're getting from Diamond to Shields night to night in the way that we know what we're getting from Allie Quigley. Um, and, you know, again, the way, the reason that I'd say at the top of this, that the reason why I said at the top of this, that I'm going to backtrack a little bit is that if Diamond is back to, full strength and looks like the 2019 version of herself. There are going to be nights where she's just the best player on the sky. Um, She's proven to be that player, but, and, you know, again, the defensive, again, I really underestimated her defensive ability in this tweet, which is kind of why I wish I walked it back a little bit more, but um, you know, I don't know offensively that we know what we're getting from her every time she steps on the floor and it's not a knock to her, ability at all it's more just that she's still developing as a player and development underneath that umbrella of development is consistency and I think that she's going to develop into the superstar that we've expected her to become and I've said that on this podcast over and over again and uh, we didn't get a chance to see what like how she was going to bloom last season because of those injuries but you know with the latest injury and just knowing what Allie quickly brings to the table offensively and her her numbers are just insane honestly um when you look at her 2019 season and what she was able to do in both the half court and in transition i mean she was just lethal um she ranks in the 90th percentile across the board <laughs> i mean go on synergy it's you'd be surprised and i think that a lot of people are underestimating ali quickly a little bit as well um don't underestimate vanderquicks um but i did want to address that because i i understood how it did come across and I, uh, I didn't want to make it seem like I was dissing Diamond to Shields in any way because I think so highly of her. And again, I think if the Sky are going to be the championship caliber team that a lot of people, including myself, um, if they're going to reach that level, that they're going to need Diamond at her 2019 version of herself and honestly, maybe even a better version of her, which is totally in the realm of possibility. So, and again, because of the defensive ability that I really underestimated with this. I would say that she is third best player in the sky, but I know that pe- there are some people that <laughs> I got your DMS. Uh, I, I think that there's some people that still think that that even is too low, which I think makes for an interesting debate. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to address that. You yeah, guys, do you have any response to that? Are you, uh, yeah, James, let me take compl- the thing out complete- for a second, man. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me, uh, let me, let me, um, let me hop up in front of you like G- like Jimmy Jump in King of New York. I have your back here. <laughs> what James K said on Twitter a month ago was not far off at all. And to all the people who tried to dog him afterwards, 
rushing to Diamond's aid. They obviously didn't see that she replied to his subsequent tweet saying, I'm not mad at you, James, LOL. I just thought I'd chime in, laughing face. I love all the coverage you do for us. You're appreciated. Prayer hands. That was Diamond Shields, your, your messiah in waiting. She said that. <laughs> she said James she said James K is appreciated and that is the truth. What James was saying was exactly what he said. With the addition of Candace Parker, Diamond as she is now is a luxury. And the thing is we like everyone have been waiting for Diamond to take that next step up the staircase and turn into a superstar. For various reasons she has not reached that level of ascension quite yet but we've been waiting for it. And I've been the one person, because I'm not as well known, who's been able to get away with saying that she has not been, she has not gotten the crown that everybody has wanted to give her from day one. I remember sitting courtside with Maggie Hendricks and Tony Gill, and everybody was saying like, she's a superstar. And I was like, we need to wait. We need to wait. It's her second season. We can't crown her yet. She hasn't made it to that point yet. I love Diamond. She's a bulldog. She is a fantastic player, but she's not a superstar yet. That's, there's nothing wrong with saying that. And if I say that and she hates me, she don't talk to me after games, but she puts up 20 and nine, I'm fine with that because that's superstar level numbers. So everybody trying to come at my man, James, you got to come through me first. <laughs> man it's so funny because i actually this wasn't on the docket today i actually thought about this 10 minutes before we jumped on and um i appreciate you saying that chris and the thing is i do think that diamond can get there that's the thing that i um that because <laughs> i i don't know if diamond listens to the show hi diamond if you are listening um <laughs> i think that she can get there and i think that you know she, she's shown in the even in the big moments in the playoffs in that 2019 stretch where she did look like the player that we do expect her to become consistently at some point in her WNBA career. She has everything that she needs to become a superstar. I just think that again, it really just comes down to consistency. And for someone who relies on her athleticism as much as she does, I'm curious to see how she rebounds and plays this season. I, I see all the IG stuff, you know, she's boxing. Now I see all these videos of her, uh, lifting weights, she looks stronger, which is very exciting. And they're really going to need her this season. But I didn't, <laughs> it was really cool to see that. I mean, again, again I, I really wanted to say this, not just because of, uh, I wanted to defend myself a little bit here, but I really did want those words to be taken out of context because I really did mean it as a compliment to the framework of the team and not as a slight to diamond. But Owen, we got to hear your take on this one. What was your reaction <laughs> When you saw that, I remember uh, you responded to something in the group chat that I can't remember now, but um, yeah, tell I, us why we're wrong. I loved, I loved every minute of it. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm just such a huge diamond fan. First off, I'm, I'm happy that Chris brought up the, the subsequent tweet because I think that was like the best part of it all was that, you know, she, she shouted you out and appreciates the coverage and is, is extremely good natured about it all. I think I think I might have been saying some like semi blasphemous things in the Windsider Slack, you know, just being a major diamond homer that I am saying well, he's, he's clearly the second best player. She's better than Sloot. And in reality, I don't <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up, Owen, but I'm glad you did, because I'm like, I mean, I could call out I could call out Owen right now for that. In, I, in I retrospect, mean, you know, 
in retrospect, in retrospect, I, I might have to reel that one back slightly. I just, I love Diamond. Here's what I'll say is like, you look at a lot of players in their third season and that's the season where they take the big jump, right? Like Asia Wilson came in like gangbusters as a rookie, took a little bit of a step back year two because Liz Cambage was there and things were, were different fit wise. And then year three, she just, she's the MVP. And so I think that I, I in terms of uh, maybe projecting Diamond as a superstar, I just, I don't think we can say anything definitive in either direction yet because we were robbed of seeing her third season. Her third season, she was a shell of herself and then, yeah. and then uh, you know, left the, left the bubble with injury. So that's what makes me incredibly excited, you know, watching her, her, uh, her boxing videos. And she's been, she's been working out with, with the fiance. Um, I think uh, Alex, Alex Bazell, uh, so I, it seems like she's she's in good shape, and and I'm extremely excited. Is she better than Courtney Vandersloot right now? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go on record and and say that that's actually what I believe. I just like to rile people up, and I like to you know stand for my favorites. But I think the thing that you said, which is like the 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 biggest takeaway from all this, is just. <laughs> It's absurd that you could even say something like Diamond to Shields is the fourth best player on a team and be able to defend it. I think if you look at the starting five or the closing five that I was outlining earlier, those are five players that are all all-star level players if, if everything goes right this year. So if you're trotting out just a lineup of all-stars and then you have Gabby on the bench and, and, and all these other you know really capable bench players – that was kind of the that was kind of the idea of what you were saying. It's just like this is an absolute luxury to have this much talent on one roster, and I think that you know I, personally, I'm just brimming with excitement to to see it actually on the court because it's like it's just it's going to be so fun. I really hope the season starts on time, just because I think this team is going to be this could be an all time team. I, I'm not afraid to say that. I think this team could has all the potential in the world and having Candace Parker in Chicago now after all that she's done to the sky since she entered the league is just going to be and the rest of the WNBA too. But, you know, I'll always bring it up. I think this is going to be the third time I mentioned it on this podcast. And now it will be 30 episodes, which is exciting. Um, but my favorite Candace Parker moment was when I think the sparks were blowing out the sky. I think it was in 2018 and Candace Parker stole the ball at half court and she, it was a breakaway and she looked back. No one saw that no one was behind her. Everyone in the press row was like, about to spell like they were about to stand up. Like, Oh my God, Candace is about to dunk. <laughs> She's like yeah. a few feet away from the rim and she just slows down, just says the word nah. And then just lays it in. You're like, this guy, one of the biggest teases of my life, man. I was going to, I was like, Oh my God, about to see one of the greatest basketball players ever dunk. Um, and it was just, <laughs> it was just this moment of anticipated, like anticipation that just died out right there. Um, but again, I'm just really excited to see what the sky do this season. And Owen, we're going to, <laughs> this will be the third question I give to you that I didn't talk to you about heading into the pod. Just one last quick thing. Hit me. Where do you put the sky in terms of one through 12 right now? Where do you have them? Do you see them? Um, where are they in the landscape of the league right now? See, I, I love this question because this is one of those that you, you, you don't have to, to 
to prep me on it. It's like I, I, I've got this answer locked and loaded whenever, whenever you want me to talk about it. Hell yeah. Here's what I'd say right now. I, I'm kind of a fan of like doing the tiers. And I think even with like when we're talking about like player rankings, it's a little bit easier for me to just talk about tiers rather than like actually one, two, three, four, five, as we saw with the, <laughs> with the Diamond to Shields discussion in the Chicago's uh, high hierarchy. It's like all these players are really fantastic. Um, I would say personally that right now I have Las Vegas as number one. And then I have two through four as tier two and two through four is Chicago, Minnesota, and Washington. So um, I think Washington is like the biggest X factor to me. I think that they could absolutely win the title, but we just don't know, you know, if Natasha Cloud is coming back, I think we all assume that, that that's what Coach T is, is trying to do right now. And then Emma Miesemann is obviously the, the biggest question mark. So I think that they're a tough team to project right now, just given yeah. the variables. Um, but obviously that team at full strength. And frankly, even if they don't have Emma Miesemann, I still think that's a title contender. Uh, and I think that Minnesota, uh, you know, has, in my opinion, the, the greatest coach in, in league history. Uh, they have Nafisa oh, Collier. They have Nafisa Collier, who, in my opinion, is a future MVP. And then two, two wings who just, they just signed in Ariel Powers and Kayla McBride that are just perfect perfect fits uh bringing back Bridget Car- Carlton was huge so I really think that Washington and Minnesota are legit um but I have Chicago right there on the precipice of of the three teams that are kind of like very conceivably you could see them knocking off Las Vegas and then obviously I guess Seattle would slot in fifth um but I'm just I'm not quite so I think that Alicia Clark and Natasha Howard were frankly too important to that team's defense for them to hang with like the elite elite teams right now uh i was i was inclined to rank chicago one when i first heard about candace parker uh uh you know returning to her hometown i i I was like well this is it this is exactly what they need and then once I, i i got a little bit of distance from it and started to think about it a little bit more uh i think two or three is probably a more realistic place to to put them in the preseason uh, power rankings. Just because you know, I, I, I credit uh, James Wade until the until the sun goes down. I think he's brilliant. Um, but one thing that that we probably should mention is like you can you can be the guy that that brings this team you know from outside the playoffs to now they're making the playoffs. Now they got all this promise. The the vibes are great. Like everyone just enjoys being around each other. That's all fine and dandy. This is the season now where it's like, all right, show me what you actually have in terms of making a deep playoff run and potentially winning the finals. And I think Wade is entirely capable. I think as an X's and O's guy, as a strategy guy, he's just about as good as it gets in the league. But that is probably what's what's causing me to, to not uh, slide them in at number one is like we still need to see the fit. We still need to see how the rotations play out. And and with Las Vegas, they just have they just have an overwhelming uh, amount of talent. I actually don't love Asia Wilson and Liz Cambage and Dierica Hamby. The fit doesn't make a ton of sense to me because I think that Hamby needs to start and is like one of the best players in the league. And it's wild to me that she comes off the bench. But you just look at the collection of talent they have. 
you know, adding Raquana Williams. Yep. Now they've got depth. Like Jackie Young all of a sudden is like the eighth or ninth best player instead of being like the number one, you know, player off the bench along with Hamby. So I think that they just have too much talent. It's like, I don't even care about fit related questions. <laughs> they are number <laughs> one to me until someone knocks them off. But I put Chicago right there on that next level could absolutely win the title and, and, and be among the, the league's elite. I'm with you with that. I mean, the, I have the aces number one right now as well. Not because of like, it's not really about Chicago. It's about how much talent is on this aces team. They're also getting Kelsey Plum back, which I think is kind of lost in totally. this discussion a little bit. And sure. I mean, again, there's going to be, I mean, we saw what happened when Liz Cambage and Asia Wilson played together. Um, I mean, they made it farther without Liz Cambage, but I do think that they're able to, I think they're just going to be able to space the floor a little bit better than they were before. And I don't think the Kayla McBride departure is going to be as big of a deal because of that. Um, I love the Williams signing. I thought, I mean, I think she shot something crazy, like 45% from three last year on like five or six attempts. I mean, that is out of this world. And just another player to leave the sparks. Uh, Chris, I'll throw it to you just uh, to close it out. Where do you see the sky in, in all of this right now? If you were to come up with, I know you hate power rankings, but if we were going to do power <laughs> rankings right now, where do you see the sky? Uh, I, I got to go with what you guys said. They're definitely top four. Um, and I was, I was low on the Candace Parker uh, signing. Not, not low, but uh, bearish, I'll say. Because I want to see, I just want to see it first. I want to see how it fits in in the first 10 games of the season. Would you say that she's the fourth best player on the sky? <laughs> <laughs> you know, she might actually be the fifth. There's a conversation to be had there because um, let me think of all the, of the, of the BS hot takes that some the, uh, sports journalists can go with. You know, she's 34 now. She might be <laughs> slowing down. She's played a lot of minutes over her career. Uh, she got that DPOY award that even she was cracking jokes about, like, Candace doesn't play defense like that. How interested will she be in basketball? Um, she's got a side hustle. A, <laughs> I mean, she's back. She's back home. Home. She's not even really from Chicago. It's, it's not a I, – I, uh, with the talent on the roster, they're top four. I, I just really still want to wait to see what happens. And even with everything that Seattle gave up, I think that people uh, like last year before the injuries, people were weren't high. When we talked to Matt Ellentuck, he wasn't he didn't have Seattle up near the top of his power rankings, I believe, uh, before the season started. And I don't quite get it. They still have the out and out best player in the league, not named Elena Deladon and Brianna Stewart. They got Sue Bird still doing things after 17 years, just playing it at a quality level. Ezie Magbegger is going to uh, slot into that Natasha Howard spot. She won't be Natasha Howard right off the bat, but she's going to do well. And they've got Mercedes Russell, Jewel Lloyd, Jordan Canada still. And one of my favorite players in the league, Tamara Young, they picked her up. Um, for I think it's a training camp contract now, but I'll be really surprised if she doesn't make the team. It's not the Seattle that we've seen, but I still think just with the way that they, with the way that that team is, they're going to be tough. They're going to push a lot of these teams that we have to the limit. And Las Vegas made the finals last year, and that's 
great for them. We were waiting for that for three years. They need to do it again before I have them in that top that top tier spot. It's 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 hard for me, and I know I'm arguing around the question, but I'm just such a results guy because we see people um, in, in our in our profession year in and year out look at the talent on paper and say, this is a finals team. This is a finals team. This is a semifinals team. And then year after year, these other teams come up and bite them. I Connecticut wasn't that high up on people's lists and Connecticut quietly just kept knocking people out of the way, pretty much with Alyssa Thomas who knocks people out of the way and they're going to get John Quill Jones back. Yeah. So I just, I really want to wait to see how it plays out, but this guy, this guy have to be top four. I I'm so nervous about putting them top two and jinxing them that I really don't want to put them top two yet mm-hmm. yeah. because that means that they're in the finals. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna chicken out and say number three. I mean, how many times have we jinxed this team on this podcast, man? Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like we gotta, you know what? No, the sky are the 12th best team. Indiana just with Jantel, <laughs> the Jantel Lavender signing. Um, I mean, they just completely, I mean, I know I'm with you. I, again, this is this is a different team, even though there's a lot of familiar faces, but it is different. Candice does add a different dimension to this team. Um, we're going to find out hopefully in a couple of months, but Owen, it's been so great to have you on the pod. Thank you so much for taking time out of your night to do this. Um, really, I mean, it, it was such a treat to have you and we hope to have you back again soon. Absolutely. Anytime, man. This was a, this was a blast. I I'll, I'll talk uh, hoops with you guys anytime. Well, we'll have to take you up on that soon, closer to the season, Chris, congrats again on the chase and uh, securing the bag, man. I was so happy when I saw that on (laughs) Facebook. I'm like, Oh my God, pink sweater and money that you made. I was so happy. Um, But yeah, if you guys want to, contact us about any atrocious takes we've made in this past hour you can always email us at the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com you can also tweet at us please do our handle is at skyhookin which is s-k-y-h-o-o-k-i-n and follow owen on twitter um owen what's your handle at owen pence very uh, very complicated stuff right there <laughs> i'm gonna have to write that one down um yeah. <laughs> uh chris where can people find you on twitter uh i'm at quandary kitten still i'm not changing it at least for a while that's <laughs> k-w-a-n-d-a-r-y kitten well you don't need to find me on twitter because i'm horrible at it um but you know i'm just joking you can find me at at james underscore m underscore k-a-y Again, thank you for listening to this episode and Owen again for joining us and um, we'll see you next time.